Wall Street made contemporary China. Without Wall Street, China would not be the China today. If you look at investment banking, the banking system in China, it's hundred percent government. Tsinghua University, Xi Jinping claimed he graduated from Tsinghua University, right? But Tsinghua was China's MIT. I just don't see anyone in the current administration who can play that leadership role. I guess the only one, I guess, who in the current stage who could play that role is Donald Trump. Namaskar. Have you wondered why when China, for all practical purposes, annexed Hong Kong, the United States did not use a very powerful tool that it had, which was of delinking the Hong Kong dollar with the US dollar. It did not do that. In fact, I have hinted this a few times, nothing has happened. Perhaps today's conversation will help you understand why this is something that perhaps the US government will never take. Give us a little bit of an insight into how tightly Wall Street is bound with China, especially the CCP party. Let's welcome the guest of the day, Sasha Gong. Sasha, namaskar and welcome to P Guru's channel. Hi, thank you so much. So happy to see everybody again. And, and Sasha, the last time we had left it very intriguingly, we had talked about Silicon Valley's links with China. And today we have another important, perhaps a, what you call as a pillar of the United States, which is Wall Street. Mm -hmm. And nothing happens in business in the U.S. without the Wall Street knowing about it or blessing it. So you can kind of give us when this tight bondage started between Wall Street and the CCP politicians and why this is sort of like one of those major stumbling blocks in terms of implementing policy for the United States mm -hmm. presidency. Yeah, but first I have to say it's... This is such an important subject. Uh, it's more perhaps more important than Silicon Valley because as people sometimes said, Wall Street made contemporary China. Without Wall Street, China would not be the China today. So, and there's something, you know, I have to say it before saying everything else, is why Wall Street or the finance industry will rely on China a great deal more, and especially rely on the Chinese government a great deal more than other industry. If you look at um, Silicon Valley, if you look, politicians just, you know, pick a bank alone, they are kind of a parasite. And uh, Silicon Valley has their own product. Wall Street, but Wall Street rely totally on the mercy of the government. It depends on it. Why? First, in China, if you look after China's economic reform, you have private, private industry, especially in export areas, export business, cell phone, or uh, daily product, whatever we see, all the products daily. But uh, that, the government lose its monopoly. Finance is a different thing. Government tightly control finance. It's a government monopoly. First, we look at Bank of China. And uh, let's go to the second slide. First slide is the title. The second slide, investment banking in China. And if you look at investment banking, the banking system in China, it's 100% government. There's no private banking. 
it's government control industry and uh, government monopolized it. And uh, without the government permission, no bank would be able, investment banking, I mean, would be able to operate in China. So unlike other industry, when you look at, well, other kinds of uh, commerce, they would go to they would go to China and they say, okay, let's talk to a few businessmen. Let's let's talk to the import as export and uh, go through Hong Kong, whatever, and go through Taiwan or South Korea or Japanese. Sometimes you go, you talk to businessmen, you may get an OEM to export. But if you're banking, especially investment banking, you want to operate in China you have to talk to the government first. That's why, well, the banking industry, the finance industry heavily, heavily depends on their personal relationship with the Chinese, especially government officials. And if you look at this slide, the first, the first one is that the banking is monopolized by the state. And second one, look at who got involved in banking industry in China. Here we will see lots of names of the offsprings of the Chinese government officials. And that I will have special section to name the names and tell about their stories, who they are, what's their connection. Anyway, if you look at the banking industry, that is China's banking industry. I hope I made myself clear here. Yes, indeed. And uh, it's very fascinating to know that so you see, there is there's a period in history where, like, for example, Deng Xiaoping opened up China, but then somebody had to come in and lay the foundation, how finance yeah. is done, get the money flowing in, get the other things done. So the big four accounting firms, Wall Street, they all had their role to play. And, and I right. guess that was the time when positions started getting created in various places in China. Uh, whoever had the power at that point got their people's place and now you will need another revolution for you to be able to unseat all these people and get a new set of people in so i think for now uh. people are well said i so my guess uh, sasha and correct me if i'm wrong whatever resistance opposition that xi jinping might be facing in ccp would still be among these click it's just a few oh, people yeah. in this yeah who, who might but be opposing think of, but think of it China, when Deng Xiaoping opened up China, and very few people, almost none Chinese, understood uh, the finance industry, understood modern banking. It's all government officials and banking doing business, but, but they, China did not have a, a banking industry involved in any private involvement. So the first banking delegation went to China from Wall Street from the United States was in 1988. It's quite late. Remember, Deng Xiaoping started opening up China in 1978. So 10 years later, 1988, the first banking Wall Street delegate went to China and then look at, you know, what's the possibility. The interesting story is that at that time, Bank of China has no translator. Bank of China did not understand. Well, nobody in China at that time understood how to translate the financial language between you know, Chinese and English. 
So Bank of China had uh, what the seminar actually some sort of a great graduate school type program. They have uh, that's the first time China had the graduate school program training uh, modern banking students. So only have like a dozen students and very few students. They sent the students out to be translators because those are the people who only had some, you know, understood both English and uh, some finance, some words, some terms in finance. Remember that's 1988, how late? And look at China today. Well, we are talking about less than 40 years, 30, 34 years ago. So actually the first time, even after that, remember in 1989, what happened in China is the student protest and the Tiananmen massacre. And after that, the West started all sort of economic sanction against China. And, uh, but that did not stop Wall Street. About three years later, 1992, Wall Street, you know, Wall Street, the, the bankers in Wall Street did the first, their first business in China. Actually, the Chinese approached Wall Street first. The Chinese, the uh, automobile, the state on one state, very huge state on automobile company wanted to get some capital in. They want to go to Wall Street and list in the stock market. So they had no idea what to do. They enlisted Wall Street bankers to help. And they successfully listed themselves on the, I think, Dow Jones at that time. That was the first banking, investment banking activity in China. So after that, well, that's when Wall Street went to, Wall Street went to China and it started. And after that, it developed very rapidly, very fast. So what we saw is, I think the first one, the, the one with the biggest entering uh, in China, the biggest investment was Blackstone. But we talk about Blackstone later. You know, the first thing that, let's go to the fourth slide, BCP offsprings working for the Wall Street. You know, it's very interesting, the first thing Wall Street learned. Yeah. By the way, this is uh, a picture, a graphic from a Chinese from a Chinese media site. So I can't translate all the names, but I I'm going to explain. Since the, the banking industry in China was so so monopolized by the state, Wall Street learned the first thing they learned is how to work with the state. But they also learned another thing: a communist state was extremely and is still extremely corrupted. Corrupted, that means Wall Street learned how to corrupt them as well. What, which means you get, you may not be able to buy a premier, but you surely you can buy the premier's son or daughter. That's what happened in, in late 1990s. When Wall Street went to China and very soon everyone learned how to hire an offspring of the, uh, of the high-ranking high officials, especially the high-ranking officials in power. So let me explain this. You look at all the list of names. These are only a few examples. The first one, you look at it, uh, that one is in charge of China's railway industry. 
and uh, whose name, last name is Zhang, and his daughter. Daughter was hired away by Morgan Stanley. And after his daughter was hired, Morgan Stanley got the contract, the Chinese railway. Look at how it works. And the second one was um, in charge of a very big state-owned company, uh, Mr. Tang. And his son was uh, hired by, uh, again, by Morgan Stanley. By Morgan Stanley, Morgan Stanley got that contract as well. If you look at these two, this two hiring caused um, the Justice Department, U.S. Justice Department, to investigate uh, Morgan Stanley and uh, gave Morgan Stanley a very big fine. I forgot how much they fined, it's some millions, but compared to what they earned in China, it was nothing. And you look at the, the third picture, that was China's, of course, the CCP chairman, Jiang Zemin, and who was CCP chairman after the Tiananmen and uh, was CCP chairman for eight years. Mayor and of Shanghai. Yeah, he was mayor of Shanghai. We talk about his relationship yes, with Dianne Feinstein. Just trying to jog people's memory. Go ahead. Right. His entire family would actually uh, control a large portion, a monopolized portion of China's uh, China's telecom, different telecom firms. And his his grandson, his grandson was hired by Goldman Sachs. And remember, these people, son and daughter, daughter and grandson are very young. In the 1980s, government sent them out to study in the States. I came to the United States in 1987. So I actually witnessed a lot of people, you know, in offsprings in Harvard Business School and Yale Business School and uh, in different schools. You know, business in that time, in the 1980s, if you, if in my case, I came to the States with a fellowship from Harvard because I study sociology, business school would not give such fellowship to a foreigner. So these people had the money and uh, study here and very soon, as soon as they graduate, sometimes even before they graduate, they were, they were hired away by big investment firms. And what do they know about investment in China? The only thing they knew was their father's relationship, their, their parents or grandfather, their family relationship. So, and uh, the corruption is so apparent. It's so, not in the dark, it's in the open. And so if you go to say, apply for a job in Goldman Sachs, you say, okay, uh, I, my father is so-and-so. Well that really boosts your chance of getting in. So I have one question before we continue down that line. Mm -hmm. You said that you were a student when they were also studying. Were they studying mm -hmm. the life of a, like a really rich person? Like for instance, my daughter went to a school in California and many mm -hmm. kids of oil sheikhs from the Middle East, they sent their children mm -hmm. and the children would come with Ferraris. Now mm -hmm. driving a Ferrari around the campus is okay. It's just that they would double park. In other words, they oh, didn't yes. want anyone to ding them. So they'll park in the middle of two spots. Ah, I see. <laughs> I see. You see, at, in the 1980s, not yet, 
because in the 1980s, they did not have that much money or they dare not to show off their money. Hmm. But if you talk about in the past 15 years, yes, they can be still Ferraris. And uh, I, don't, I don't pay attention to all these expensive cars, but all these people came with expensive cars. And uh, in one demonstration in Toronto, all this supporting Chinese government students' demonstration. They came, all came out with their Ferraris and paraded Ferraris in Toronto. <laughs> Think of it. Yeah, they do. And uh, the, uh, well, I would say the very irony was in the 1980s, and I actually personally know uh, some of them. They actually lived like other students and they, they're very eager to well, have American friends talk to America, Americans and learn from America. But after China got rich, if you look at the students now, the rich kids, they all live among, you know, they live with, with each other in themselves and they drive expensive cars and they live a very rich life. And uh, a few years later, I just realized they learned very little about America. <laughs> but that's one so, generation away. Right. Mm -hmm. So after Zheng Zemin, we have what? Hu Jintao? No, that's Wen Jiabao, Chinese Premier. Oh, Wen Jiabao. Okay. Sorry. Sorry. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Chinese Premier Wen Jiabao. And uh, his, his son, Wen Yunsong, we see there. And uh, he was hired away by, uh, I think, Swiss Credit, also a big banking industry. And later, I think a year later, he also went to Goldman Sachs first. Well, within a year, he was hired with a very, I think like a $10 million salary or something, hired away. The next one, we see it's the guy named, uh, last name Wu, Wu Bangguo. He's the chairman of Chinese People's Congress, People's Congress, like a speaker, a chairman. And uh, his son-in-law, was hired away by Mary Lynch. And uh, these people, uh, well, actually, let's go to the last one. The last one is also Chinese Premier Zhu Rongji. Zhu Rongji's son is also quite famous in uh, the banking industry in China now. And he, at that time, in the late 80s, I think, he was, he was hired away by, I, I think, by UBS. Anyway, remember all this young people, bunch of them, lots of them. After that, they learn, they learn how to invest, they learn how the investment banking, the investment industry works, and that they all went back to China to open their own firm. And these are people who control China's finance, and these are people who, you know, uh, all the foreign investment bank have to deal with them. Have, they, they have no other choice. So investment banking in China, they, instead of boosting capitalism, they boost crony capitalism. It's a very famous industry for crony capitalism. Yes. I have a question. Um, we haven't seen anyone uh, representing the Blackstone group in this list. Uh, Blackstone, well, not in this list. Uh, Blackstone group, the Blackstone boss did even better. He went to China himself. Oh. Yeah. Next slide, you see this, the Blackstone Group. And uh, I, I checked the data 
by the end of last year, their investment in China is $731 billion. Blackstone is a real major, major player. And the guy on the right, his name is Stephen Schwarzman. Stephen Schwarzman. And he's one of the two founders of Blackstone, uh, two founders or two main, uh, well, anyway. So Blackstone was the pioneer in going to China. I think their first business in China was in 2007. In 2007, Blackstone went to China, invested and bought and worked with the China state firm. Remember 2008, when 2008 happened, what happened is that that was a financial crisis, huge financial crisis. And the Blackstone was, went on the verge of bankruptcy. So the Chinese, what the Chinese did was the Chinese state bank purchased, well, with very high price of some Blackstone share and property and whatever, the Chinese saved Blackstone in 2008 during the financial crisis. So Blackstone actually owned gratitude to China. And what happened is that, and then Blackstone opened its branch, several branches in China, in Shanghai, in Hong Kong, in Beijing. Not only that, Stephen Schwartz, uh, he has a Chinese name, he calls him, himself Su Shimin in Chinese. That's a very, very Chinese name. Uh, you have a little trace of his English name, but basically, if I only look at the name, I thought he would be Chinese. So he did better was he went to China, he donated a hundred million dollars of his own money. He opened, his, he launched a program at Tsinghua University with his name. In Tsinghua, is still there. Uh, I think he launched that in 2013. And both Obama and uh, Xi Jinping wrote letters of congratulations to, to, to him. What happened is that when he launched the program, he announced the purpose of that program is to let the world know China better. And, uh, first, let me say something about Tsinghua University. Tsinghua University, Xi Jinping claimed he graduated from Tsinghua University, right? But Tsinghua was China's MIT. Peking University, my alma mater, it's called Chinese Harvard, and uh, its neighbor Tsinghua University is called Chinese MIT. And um, well, both schools, the two top schools produce lots of CCP leaders, but Tsinghua produced more CCP leaders than Peking University. For one interesting reason, Peking University had a tradition of being rebellious, so if you look at uh, the Tiananmen, look all the way back to Main Four, Peking University always uh, led the rebellion. And Tsinghua produced engineers. And we all know Tsinghua University produced very submissive and very smart but submissive engineers. Uh, Hu Jintao came from Tsinghua as well, Chinese CCP chairman before Xi Jinping. So Xi Jinping also claimed he came from Tsinghua. So that's Tsinghua University and, uh, Steve, and Stephen Schwartz uh, have, have a program there to produce, well, as according to him, people who could influence the West. Uh, his own words is to 
he's the, the mission of that center is to help the world to understand China. So that's interesting mission. Yes, indeed. Yes, indeed. Shall we go to the next slide? I have a set of questions that uh, I'll ask them after we are... Uh... Yes, actually, let's, let's also uh, add a little bit. And uh, well, so far, the, uh, his center uh, organized different talks, speeches, and uh, different events, which actually in really helped uh, the Chinese uh, produce influence Chinese leaders and also influence the West. That's what could see. And we also can see in every key event, every whatever happened, Schwarzman, Mr. Schwarzman always side with the Chinese, including after the pandemic, and he defended the Chinese government, the pandemic. Next is Goldman Sachs. The Chinese said, whenever there's financial activity, there's Goldman Sachs. I think it says all. Goldman Sachs people, are, well, they have offices in Beijing, Shanghai, of course, also. Goldman Sachs people are specifically good in dealing with the Chinese, the Chinese high-ranking officials. Remember, we talked about John Thornton before uh, yeah. in our first show. John Thornton yes, came from Goldman Sachs. He, he, he left Goldman Sachs. He was always close, very close to the Chinese leadership. So if you go to the news in China, I don't even want to list or some event because they are every they are actually everywhere. Especially the Goldman Sachs people are very close to the Chinese banking system and Chinese. Well, if you talk to any people who work a high-ranking minister or whatever that level, you will know. They know some people from Goldman Sachs and they were invited to Goldman Sachs event, they, you know, something like that. It's always like that. So that's why the Chinese say, whenever there's financial activities, you see Goldman Sachs. They also perform alike in the United States of America. You see Goldman Sachs people in every administration and uh, it's Pe Hank Paulson also from Goldman Sachs, right? We also in the Bush administration, Obama administration, and the Trump administration, every administration, even according to records, 75%, I think in, it's in 2014, I remember, 75% of Goldman Sachs money went to the Democrats but they are popular among the Republicans as well. I see that you have two pictures here, Lloyd Blankfein on the right side and Hammering Hank mm -hmm. on the left side. He was the Treasury yes. Secretary and the 2008 yes. crisis. So yes. you want to say share some interesting tidbits? Like, for instance, the first day the Congress voted down his proposal, then he went on all, you know, in his knees and pled before uh, Nancy Pelosi, please, you are going to sink the entire mm -hmm. world economy, world financial system. Mm -hmm. Oh, Hank Paulson. One thing about him is that uh, actually his, his assistant was my good friend from Harvard, I could say, and at least for a while. After he finished, well, after Obama went to power, he flew to China at least twice a month. He does lots of business in China. And uh, what are the details? That's their secret. We don't know, but we also know these people never spoke against China. 
I think that would be enough. And the, think of how important these people in the U.S. finance industry, they control everywhere and they never spoke against China. I have a list of other players here. We see Warren Buffett. Well, Warren Buffett, actually Warren Buffett, at, at this one business I know he was doing it. Uh, he made, I think he made five times of, of profit in seven years investing in petroleum China. And he worked closely with them. And Hank Paulson worked closely with whatever well, money is, we are talking about billions of dollars. And we also see UBS and we also see uh, Morgan Stanley's female head in the Asian market. So we look at everyone. So the last slide, I have a picture there, and then we can discuss more details. This is yeah. a picture on the left. It's Mr. Wang Qishan, last name Wang. And uh, on the right, it's his boss, Xi Jinping, of course. Wang Qishan, I actually met him a few times in the 1980s. That's a very interesting personal background. Like my generation, he, I think he's, he's now, he's 70-something. He was born in 1949 or around those years. And uh, he did not come from a very prominent family in China. In the 1960s and 70s, he was sent down to work in the in the farm like Xi Jinping was also that and um, later he was uh, assigned a job in the in the Shanxi Museum I happen to know his boss his boss was the mother of a friend of mine anyway I also know his roommate who once worked with me <laughs> I met him a few times that's how close you know Beijing people in Beijing and um, anyway so but this guy was, it's one of the, the smartest guy in China, super smart, very, very smart. What happened in that time? Well, I'm not talking about rumors. I'm talking about things I know. <laughs> uh, once uh, the Chinese vice premier Yao Yilin in 1975 went to his museum and he was assigned to you know, show the vice premier. And then he learned the vice premier has a daughter who's not that far away, and he somehow he found a way to meet his daughter. He dumped his own girlfriend and married that girl. That his wife is actually living in California. They live separately. <laughs> is this the, so, the the one that you said who he married? Vice premier's yes. daughter. Yes, actually, his wife attained with American citizenship. And I'm not sure later if, well, they never divorced, but they are, they're still a couple. I have a question, but, Sasha. Isn't Wang uh -huh. Kishan like considered number two now under Xi Jinping? Well, he was number two, but he, he doesn't have children. So I think his amb ambition seems waned out uh, in all these years. I think he's close to the end of his, his time. And his wife is not there. So... He was number two, was very ambitious. He was also the anti-corruption czar, which means for years, if he, did, well, whoever he did not like, he could have you arrested. He did arrest a lot of people, put a lot of officials in jail. And uh, he was very feared. But more than that, in the 1980s, he he was one of the reformers helping to open up China and 
not that high ranking, but he got some fame. And um, what happened is at that time, when China first opened up, the officials did not understand how important of setting up the connection is. But he was a smart guy. He understood how important. And also people around him. I know many people who, who work with him, who are still working with him. And those the China's smartest people, among the smartest people, they understood how important. And they understood how important to combine their, their power uh, with foreign influence and how important to earn money. They soon learn how important to grasp the financial industry and the work with Wall Street. So Wang was once, I think some uh, Wall Street guys made a speech in Davos that he's the smartest people in China and praised him greatly. You know, something like that. But currently, he's still very influential, but not as influential as 10 years ago. Ah, question for you. Uh, I have three or four questions. I'm going to try and remember each and every one of them. Yeah. The first one is uh, to do with Wang Kishan. According mm -hmm. to Miles Kwok, by the way, viewers, M-I-L-E-S-K-W-O-K. Mm -hmm. -E That's his uh, Western mm -hmm. name. He has a different Chinese name. Mm -hmm. But he's holed up in an apartment in Wall Street. He won't oh, yeah, yeah, I know him. I know him very well. <laughs> mm -hmm. So according to Miles Kwok, you know, a couple of, mm -hmm. a few years ago, a Chinese actress, Fan Fan, F-A-N, F-A-N, like the way you fan, mm -hmm. she went yeah. missing. And Miles Kwok had some really interesting revelations about her and this person. How true are yeah. these in your would, opinion? Yeah. I would say his Miles Kwok's information is not reliable, for sure. And because I'm the one who made him famous, Miles Kwok. I was the one who interviewed him in Voice of America. <laughs> so yeah, you're talking to the right person. I've been following the news for, uh, for a few years. But his information is very unreliable. All right. So that's why I didn't say anything beyond what I wanted to make sure we, you go to the mm -hmm. fountain of information. You're the found. Mm -hmm. The next question is, I'm hearing that Lecky Kang is retiring. The premier now, the current premier. Oh, oh Li Keqiang. Yes. I actually Li asked the person. Okay. Yes, Li Keqiang. And Li Keqiang, uh, yes, he's retiring. He, he made the announcement. I actually went to college with him. I know him yes, very well. Yes, that's right. You told me. Yeah. Yeah. He's, he's retiring. He's 67 next year, I guess. Well, he's, he's the premier and he did, he actually did not have that much power in a way. Xi Jinping was, was very strong or, well, let me put this way. My guess from what I know is he and uh, Xi Jinping did not get along that well, but he would not say much. So I, I've always had this curiosity, Sasha. Now, mm -hmm. You had Deng Xiaoping, and then he went on, and then you had Zhang Zeming. I might not be pronouncing, I'm just saying. And then from there, yeah. you got into uh, Hu Jintao. And mm -hmm. Hu Jintao was supposed to have picked Li Keqiang. Yet, instead mm -hmm. of that, he went Xi Jinping. Can you shed some light on what happened there? Why? Because this guy is not deep state. He's not a friend of Zhang Zeming, or so I'm, I'm told. Well... He's actually Jiang Zemin picked Xi Jinping. 
hmm. uh, not Hu Jintao. And Hu Jintao, you know, you're supposed to pick the, uh, the guy before you pick the next, your next guy, that sort of uh, it unwritten, unspoken, unwritten rule. So Jiang Zemin picked Xi Jinping. And uh, at that time, first Xi Jinping's father, I also know his father, <laughs> His father exonerated me. Xi Jinping's father, Xi Jinping's father was jailed by Chairman Mao for 16 yes, years. Yes, 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 yes. He was a dissenter, uh, right. Yeah. Yes, and also he had, he had the reputation of being a very open-minded guy. And I would testify for that because I met him a few times and he was really, really open-minded. And I personally am very grateful to him. So at that time, everybody thought Xi Jinping would follow his father's footsteps, would keep China's doors open, would you know keep reform and doing whatever. But few people expected that Xi Jinping would be the Xi Jinping now, would turn himself into a dictator and turn himself into a close-minded person. Let me put this way. So um, this is the most important question for the day, in my opinion, because mm -hmm. this is happening even as we speak. There was a long conversation, an hour and a half or hour, 10 minutes between uh, President Biden and Xi Jinping today. Mm -hmm. And I think mm -hmm. U.S. has kind of, you know, drawn the in Hindu culture. There is a thing called Lakshman Rekha. What it means is this is the line. This is the boundary. If you cross this, mm -hmm. you're in trouble. So mm -hmm. what do you think China is going to do? They have been trying to keep both sides happy. First, the Xinhua News Agency in China is sent, uh, well, I watch a little bit of the two o'clock uh, White House briefing. And uh, so far, I haven't read everything, but so far what I saw is the Chinese have a different version that, about the conversation. They stress a different part of talk uh, than the U.S. part, so I I can't make any conclusion yet. I may have I may be able to make it tomorrow or later tonight, but I haven't seen everything. And uh, what I actually worried about for this the Ukraine Russia for the war for Ukraine war, the Biden administration is very ineffective. You see, to be a responsible superpower, the only superpower in the world, the first thing the administration need to do, uh, if I were in charge, <laughs> I would say it first, stop. Just imagine what Reagan would, even what Jimmy Carter would do, what even Clinton, well, whatever. Well, as the leader of superpower, the first thing you would say, stop, stop it. Don't do it. And the, you guys, well, stop fighting and let's go to, say, Geneva. Talk it over and see your condition, your condition. And, you know, stop bleeding. Stop letting people die. I'm the leader. I'm in charge. You do this. Talk. Instead, the Biden administration fanned the frame. I did not understand what's, well, the Biden administration did not send well, I guess they don't have anyone who knew who knows how to negotiate. They they send camera Harris, which is a joke, and uh, Tony Blinken went to Moldova, which is 
in crisis itself with Romania, I just don't see anyone in the current administration who can play that leadership role. I guess the only one, I guess, who in the current stage who could play that role is Donald Trump, who wrote the book, Art of a Deal. He, he, he knows how to make a deal. And others, <clears throat> they just fan the frame and they just give more aid, more weapons. And what do you want? More people to die? I, I do have a big problem with that. And uh, for China-wise, I'm, I'm very afraid. This crisis will, will give China an opportunity to play a bigger role. If you look at it when, you know, the Israelis and the Turkish, they all want to intervene and be that leader to, at least for the ceasefire. Nobody succeeded because America is not doing that. And uh, well, stupidly, they asked China to do it. China is helping Russia. So I don't know what's the result of today's talk, but it surely gives China an opportunity to play a leadership role. I just pray, I have to say, I just pray that Xi Jinping is not smart enough to take it. <laughs> All right. Thank you so much. And viewers, please send in your comments. And we're going to take a look at some other very interesting entities. Hopefully, the next one is going to be Hollywood. Uh, that should get all your juices flowing. Uh, this is a very, very yeah. big relationship. And uh, mm -hmm. Sasha has done a tremendous amount of effort in researching this stuff. Thank you so much, Sasha. And, and again, Red Handed was just sort of like the outlines. And we are getting into the meat and bones here. We're really getting into the thick of things. And as always, a pleasure having you on our platform, Sasha. And viewers, we'll be back with more such conversations. Thanks. Please like, share, and subscribe to our channel. And don't forget to click on the bell button for notifications. Namaskar. Thank you.